Hey, Megan, when does love come? When does love come? When does love come? When the muffins are made. Love comes. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there you have a little uh, preview, a little sampler of a vegan radio show about to come on. So, uh, Scotty, Scotty, when does love come for you, Scotty? Because <laughs> he says that is the question. Usually about five minutes before I go to bed. <laughs> Whoa! hey What? Derek, would you like your uh, show? Would you like your show back? <laughs> okay, I'm just going to hand it right on over to you, okay? All right. We're live. Hello, Northampton. Vegan Radio. Who I'm loves you? Who loves you like Vegan Radio? Nobody. <laughs> Marla Beebe thinks she loves you like Vegan Radio, but I don't think she does. <laughs> oh, she just taekwondoed me. Ouch. Oh, hurt me. Hurt me, Marla. You got the theme music there, darling? I do, almost. Welcome to Vegan Radio. Here we are. Want to close that door, Megzy? Keep the riffraff out? Yes, that's right. It's time for another amazing, exciting, and overflowing edition of Vegan Radio. Oh, no! Today we have an interview with Peter Young. Uh activist who released mink back in the 90s and got put in jail for a little while and um also we have karen davis karen davis from united poultry concerns and finally we have cynthia sharp singer for exit ophelia and also uh also an activist in his own right so uh we're gonna be kicking this off now you ready, Megs? Um, yeah, if you turn my microphone on. <laughs> your microphone's on. It's your headphones that Scott's trying to fix over there. I wanted to do a little recap of our event this week. I think... Yeah, what was the event this week? Anyway? Uh, we had a vegan bus fundraiser oh, right. for our project, the Vegan Bus Project. That went very well. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. I had, I had a great time. I was so excited to see everyone who came. So many familiar faces. I wish I'd seen a few more unfamiliar faces, but... Kenneth Williams came from uh, from New Jersey to hang out with us. Hey, vegan Cl- bodybuilder, Kenneth Williams. And Claire came all the way from England. Yeah, we had a visitor from England, Claire. Yeah. What's up, Claire? Around. Shout out to Claire. I'd like to... I wonder if she had to declare herself when she went across the uh, <laughs> ocean. Oh, the jokes. <laughs> when will we ever get through them? Pretty soon, baby. Megan's going to be gone for a, a couple of weeks in May. She's going to France. It's true. And we're going to have a... Um, Getting the heck out of here. We're going to have a wow. vegan belly dancer from Pittsburgh taking her place. <gasps> Amethyst. And she's actually going to be in town. She's also going to teach a couple of belly dance lessons while she's here. Um, one is going to be Wednesday, May 23rd from 7.45 to 9.15 p.m. at the Shaolin Kung Fu and Fitness Center on 100 University Drive in Amherst, Mass. $30 registration required. 50% of the profits go to the vegan bus. How about that? It's pretty exciting. So everyone sign up. Give us your money. And uh, let's see. And she's visiting from Pittsburgh, where she has been belly dancing for over nine years. She travels to San Francisco each month to study with the belly dance superstar, Ansoya, and has taken workshops or lessons with Turbo Tabla, Artemis, Rachel K. Brookmeyer, Heather Stentz, and many other teachers who we've never heard of. But if you're a belly dancer... <laughs> and can pronounce. If you're, in a belly dance, <laughs> if you're a belly dancer, you could probably relate to some of those people. And um, 
you can visit pittsburghbellydance.com for amethyst belly dancing and other healing arts all right that's our uh, events announcements portion of the show all right <laughs> moving on so the vegan bus fundraiser we had uh, we had an art auction we had um a raffle <laughs> yep we raffled off a lot of stuff megan was giving me dirty looks all night just like she is now <laughs> JC, you still haven't picked up your stuff. So I'm not giving you dirty up. looks. I'm we just, had vegan pizza. I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> yeah, well, you better you better change your attitude while you're on the show, baby. Our listeners don't don't care what kind of side of bed you woke up on this morning. They wanna, well, they're going to see what side they want of the, the bed. happy Megan. They're going to see what side of the bed I woke up on. You've never that. really had your wrath on the show before. I know. I know. <laughs> Scott's seen my wrath before, and so uh, Derek's on, seen it many times. Show, I think, isn't it? No. 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 I don't think so. Yes. But it will be on this show. I've seen this wrath. The wrath. This is exciting. Of Moopsie Shackleford. <laughs> really, she's on fire. She's giving off a lot of heat. <laughs> so Kenneth Williams is uh, is going to be on the vegan bus in 2008. We're going to do a tour with Kenneth Williams around the around the U.S. a little bit. And we got yeah, to hang right. out with Kenneth Williams and his wife, Evelyn, this past weekend. He's getting pretty buff, I have to say. He's getting up, built up for the uh, competition in the fall. Yep. And... Uh, so we're going to play a little uh, Kenneth Williams for you right here. My name is Kenneth Williams. You're listening to Vegan Radio on WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, and on the web at www.veganradio.com. My favorite slogan, go vegan and nobody gets hurt. Oh, yeah, I love yeah. that one. That's one of people. our best ones. <laughs> That's right. If he was a village person, which village person would he be? Oh, it's on repeat. <laughs> My name All right, Kenneth, right, that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a little overzealous. <laughs> How'd this get on repeat? Marla Beebe, she's, she always leaves things uh, in disorder to try to mess with us, I think. It's in blues yeah. mode. Blues mode, yep. She's just trying keeps to going trip on and up. on on that one, one, four, five one, forever. Four, five, one, She's four, trying to trip <laughs> Vegan Radio up because there aren't any muffins for it, Evolution. Oh, man. <laughs> we got to make some Taekwondo muffins next week. All right, so uh, the other, next thing we want to do, we had uh, we went to see the Peter Young talk at Hampshire College last... What, what, was that last night? When was that? No, it was two <laughs> nights ago. Two nights ago. It was Tuesday night, and it was sponsored by um, the Smith Animal Rights Group as well as the Hampshire Animal Rights Group. Um, and he was in just was released from jail three months ago, and he was in jail for two years for doing mink releases along with a couple other cohorts. Um, and he told us about his time, his jail time, his jail experience, um, and, and what else? Well, we're going to play the interview. We're oh, we're going to play the interview. Recap the whole thing. Oh, okay. Well, it's just a little. <laughs> there's just a little recap. He, he was a very good uh, speaker, and uh, you know. Direct action, vegan radio. <laughs> That's what we're all about. Wow. Is there a connection? <laughs> okay. All right, listeners, it's time for me to take over the, the main microphone over there. Really? I think so. I don't think we want an angry uh, vegan behind the main microphone. We need a happy oh, vegan. Oh, I think it'll be fine. Right. I'm more coherent, though. <clears throat> I didn't know vegans could be angry. I thought they were just jolly all the time. Oh, come on. What she's, about when I give you those knuckle sandwiches, jolly. Scott? Oh, yeah. That makes. Me, that puts me. Are knuckle sandwiches <laughs> vegan? I don't think so. That puts me in the mood. 
All right, so enough about hands in the blender. Let's uh, get to this <gasps> Stop. interview here with Peter Young. Uh, my name is Peter Young, and I was I just was released from prison about three months ago. I served two years for my role in a wave of mink releases that went across the Midwest in 1997. Um, there was a, a two-week sort of blitz of mink releases across the Midwest. Um, there was a two-week period, five fur farms were hit. Somewhere between eight and 12,000 mink were released. Um, I eventually pled guilty to a conspiracy role in four of those incidents, and then an uh, overt act role in one fur farm in Wisconsin. And um, I ended up, it was originally charged with four counts of extortion and got that reduced to two counts of what they call animal enterprise terrorism. And I served the maximum sentence of two years. Well, we've been covering the animal enterprise terrorism bill. The current one, the one you were convicted under, was a precursor to that one. Can you tell us anything about the difference between the bill you were convicted with and the current one? The bill I was convicted of, and I don't mean to downplay the significance of uh, losing two years of your life, um, that was a, you know, obviously a serious thing for me, but the bill that I was convicted under um, was relatively benign as far as um, federal, uh, federal laws go. Um, I was, again, I pled guilty to two counts of enterprise terrorism. They carried at that time the maximum of one year in prison each. Um, currently, the same thing that I pled guilty to would carry a maximum of 20 years in prison. So you see with the new Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act um, just how much the impact is, you know, how they much they've upped the ante. Uh, now, I think the new, the new version calls for a maximum of 10 years for damage under, let's see, I think it's between 100000 and a million dollars and a maximum of 20 years of the damage is over a million. I think our the estimated damages fell somewhere in the $800,000 range um, for the crimes that I was originally charged with. And so you can see just how much more seriously they take these, these things down. And do you know of anyone that has been convicted under the new bill? The Shack 7 was still under the old one, right? The Shack 7 case, they were prosecuted under the sort of the, uh, I don't know if you call it, the sort of like intermediary version, which was they changed it from misdemeanors and they made it into felonies, I think, in 2000 or 1999. Um, they carried it jumped from, the maximum jumped from one year to three years. So they were charged with um, the version of the bill where it carried a maximum of three years per count. And then now, like I said, it can carry a maximum of actually life in prison now. Um, if I believe if something along the lines of if someone is injured or killed in the process, which frankly will never happen because that's not anything the animal rights movement would ever be responsible for. But, but at the same time, uh, property damage can carry you, uh, get you up to 20 years now. So the Shack 7, they were, they were charged under the sort of more serious version that I was charged with, but also much more less serious than what we have on the table right now. Are you familiar with Lee Hall's book, Papers in the Churchyard? I only know of its existence. I frankly have not read it yet. I asked somebody to send it to me when I was in prison, and I believe it was sent and arrived after I got out, so I never actually got it, the copy into my hands. I was just curious. Basically, her premise is that she thinks, um, you know, ALF action is doing more harm than good, you know, for the animal rights movement, and that basically we should be changing people's minds and that, you know, doing direct action is not changing people's minds. It's just making them think of us as terrorists and as violent people. What would your reaction to that book and her premise be? I think it's important to remember that when it comes to live liberation, such as the thing that I was convicted for, the public is generally on our side. Um, you're not going to find a whole lot of people that are going to be against something um, like releasing animals or saving the life of animals directly. I think the issue becomes a little bit harder to swallow and takes a lot more convincing when you talk about tactics like arson. However, 
with live liberations, it's it's one of those things where it's, it's very difficult. Or it's very easy for people to understand why someone would do that. And I think they would even say it was a just thing. And I, I frankly have encountered this countless times. Even when I was in prison, I'd have a lot of guards that would come up to me and say, hey, I think was what, you, what you did was really cool. A lot of prisoners, you've got people that are in there for a lot of you know things that you know, maybe aren't the, the nicest things. You have people in there for kidnapping and so forth. And a lot of these people are like, you know, what you did is really awesome. And I think that you find, like, even in... Um, Amongst circles of people where compassion is not necessarily something they celebrate, uh, that they, they can understand and they can be sympathetic towards this. So I think it's important for first of us to understand that the public is generally on our side with this. Very, they're going to have a very difficult time selling the, 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 the direct liberation of animals as terrorism. And frankly, in my case, despite the fact that they used um, that one of the, my charges or my only charges were called animal enterprise terrorism, the word terrorism only came up one time throughout my numerous court dates, um, the prosecution didn't even attempt to try to paint me as a terrorist, to a small extent at the very end, but, um, and that was something because I believe they know that it's not something that they can sell the public on, it's just frankly they can't do it. Now I've never participated in any kind of arson, and as far as that goes, I think you need to, people need to ask themselves, what, is the other, what other options do we have in this situation? How, how, what do you do to a fur farm? I mean, frankly, how do you close a fur farm? You can stand outside with picket signs for a thousand years. It's never going to do any good. You're never going to get the job done. You're going in there and, and, and hitting them where it hurts is going to accomplish. The other thing I think that would be good for our listeners to hear is just your idea of how a lot of times there's like, you know, there's the above ground groups and the below ground groups, and every time someone, you know, under the name of ALF or whatever they call themselves, liberates animals and it makes the media the above ground groups try to distance themselves from it rather than using this media opportunity to explain to the public why you know why someone would do this yeah as i discussed earlier in my talk tonight i think that one of the biggest ways that the above ground animal rights movement drops the ball um, is that we don't capitalize on what happened illegal actions that happen for animals um, this is a priceless opportunity that's being handed to us to talk about what happens to animals, to bring the attention to what happens to animals, to expose animal abusers in the form of getting our voice out to the media in the wake of an illegal action. Now this stuff happens all the time. You've got, uh, I think on an average of once a night somewhere in the world, and I don't know how, how often this stuff happens in the country, and fortunately it's happening less and less, but still on a regular basis, these actions do happen where uh, you know illegal activity happens to, to protect animals and to save animals. and people often complain well the media that comes from these animals is bad media like the author probably would suggest who wrote uh, Capers in the Churchyard she would probably suggest the media is so often bad well of course it's bad because first of all the media can't find anyone to talk to after these actions the people that do talk to them too often spend all their time talk, condemning these actions rather than keeping the attention on what happens to the animals and I've been interviewed many times and inevitably the media will always say so let's talk about what you do is what you do terror is what you did terrorism. Um, let's talk about the people that did this. You know, set a bomb at this building. Is that terrorism? Why don't we always bring it back to what happens to the animals? That's the most important thing. And I, you know, the way I responded to that, they said, "Yeah, let's talk about terrorism. Let's talk about what happens to animals in factory farms. Let's talk about slaughterhouses." Um, it's very easy to turn around any attack or any assault on our movement and use it to talk about what happens to animals. And as long as you do that, people are going to be on our side because no one, you've got very few people that aren't economically invested in these industries that are going to defend what they do. As long as we use it to expose, 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 expose constantly and keep hammering away and use these actions to expose what happens to animals, I think that that's going to be the best way that we can um, effectively use illegal actions to further the movement, even if you don't agree with them. Peter Young, any comments on that, Megs? Uh, just he's an extremely intelligent, driven, motivated guy who's 
dedicated to saving animal lives. And it was pretty cool to get to see an example of somebody speaking who is just kind of like a real person, wasn't like a seasoned speaker, but had a lot of great things to say. And I was glad I got to see him. Yeah, I think two years in jail, you'd have a lot of time to think about what you're going to do when you get out and get your uh, lecture together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be tough. But uh, I think he, he the way he calculated, he freed something like 8,000 mink. Yeah, and I and I helped free them, and uh, I think um, what what I was gl- I was glad to hear him talk about was that um, they did a lot of research on um, what they were going to go liberate, and the reason why they chose the mink was because there had been a lot of research that showed that mink put back into the wild, even though they had grown up their whole lives domesticated, um, easily incorporated into the wildlife and so that there's there was a good percentage of them that actually would live and survive instead of obviously if you just went to liberate some cows they'd just be walking around like Um, in the fast food nation right right (laughs) that was such a bad portrayal of animal rights activists so so that's yeah it was but but um it was good to hear about that because i i thought that like oh well what are the mink going to do are they actually going to live are they going to survive yeah and he said they also spread out they um you know they 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 need like a certain amount of they need territory for each one so they 9 don't, to 12 miles they didn't all just stay in the same area eating all the you know they are carnivorous so they spread out and uh, go back into the ecosystem without overrunning one small part of it right so that was good. Um, Cynthia Sharp is going to be our next uh, guest on air, and um, he's in a band called Exit Ophelia, and we're going to play one of their songs, and then after that we're going to talk to him about his activism. You like the way I say activism? Play mm. the music. <laughs> I love play the guys. music, Derek. <laughs> okay, this is called Believe. So this was the question posed. When you see too many things you want to change in the world, where do you start? (laughs) This is the walk, and these are the steps. Vocals, it always starts with the vocals. One fella a cappella trying not to choke holds. A deeper meaning, a harder leaning, a greater pressure up against the ones that say we're only dreaming of a better system, better way to live. A harder sense of purpose with a whole lot more to give And if we rattle our cages then they'll start to hear our voice And every person everywhere will have to make a choice Between the last vision and a wider vision Put your world under a microscope and do the longer vision One, this'll be my answer Just 
offer them a kiss Someone else's problem, ignorance is bliss And if these words be made of life and life be made of breath They're asking for our help but we're ignoring them to death While these people are our friends, thought I'm familiar Brock couldn't dead drown, thanks to Ophelia Just playing uh, one of your songs there, Believe. Rubbing our nipples and playing songs. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing, Cynthia. Pay no attention exciting. to my co-host. So, uh, <laughs> you know me, uh, my, our co-host uh, here is Megan and Scotty over on the other microphone there. Hi. Hello. Hi. Awesome. Thanks for having me, you guys. Scotty chips in every once in a while. So if you chips, hear a, chirps. If you hear a strange voice. That's him. <laughs> so do you, want, that do you want to tell us about that song? You got anything Believe, to say about that song? Um, yeah. Believe was one of the first songs we ever actually did, and it was written as a response to. Well, all of our songs are res- written as response to fan questions. That's what. That's why Exit Ophelia came into existence in the first place. Is um, 
we got a letter from a girl who was a Muslim girl living in California who basically after 9-11 was sort of being stoned to death in the streets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she wore a a hijab, a sharim veil, and um, taking a lot of flack to begin with. And at some point she looked up and she was pregnant. And she basically wrote in saying, hey, I couldn't take the pressure to begin with and the people that I could run to uh, were my family, and now I can't even go tell them because she's basically going to be sacrificed. And so she started making sort of these claims and threats of wanting to go drown herself in the river. So we wrote, oh, my God, it's Ophelia, exit Ophelia. And so we, we wrote one, um, one for her and then had a bunch of other uh, people write in as a response to that, and that became Believe. A lot of people saying, well, then what can we do? Well, this is where you start. You raise your voice. Cool. Excellent. So um, you've been, besides your band, you're um, involved with the Artist, Artivist Film Festival. Is that right? That's true. Art, um, the video for Believe, which you can go you know, click in exitophilia.com. Go check it out. That we made for the Artivist Film Festival last year. And sort of what we did was just say, all right, everybody, this was through email, everybody just get out your cameras, go pick a poster board, write your beliefs on the signs, and send us in the footage. And we just got these tapes in the mail and the email, little WMV files, and pasted them together. And we became the first rock musicians ever to win an Artivist Award, which is kind of huge because two of the other... Um, vegan Artivist Award winners this year were Daryl Hannah and Joaquin Phoenix. Wow. So those are, you know, six minutes apart from each other standing there going, wow, it was pretty incredible to have that kind of response to a music video in the first place. But yeah, Artivist, Open Arms, they have um, the biggest activist film festival in the country, and it's in Los Angeles. They do um, four categories, four days. Basically, one day is devoted to children's rights. One day is devoted to environmental causality. One of them is animal rights, and one of them is human rights. And so it's really cool to be able to take, if you can, just a couple days out and go see basically every activist film that matters <laughs> across the board in one setting. People who volunteer, people who show up for that festival, walk away. A, vegan, and B, with their minds blown. So if you can, www.artivists.org. It's a combination of the word artist and artivist. Um, I'm sorry, artist and uh, activist. An activist. <laughs> with an S on the end. A-R-T-I-V-I-S-T-S dot org. And then you'll see them. That's where there was, there was a premiere for Fast Food Nation this year. The big Fox Searchlight premiere was the third day of Artivist. you know anybody who wants to become an artivist? There's no lighter way to get out there. I'm and living where, proof at this point. Where, I mean, since then, I've been, I'm booked for the next year. <laughs> wow. For harpseals.org, you know, the Canadian seal hunt. Um, harpseals.org has hired me to do basically two music videos for them. So that's why Exit Ophelia has disappeared from the map. <laughs> because... We're actually, you know, we've actually become sort of instrumental, literally, meaning our voices and microphones have been turned off to do the music for the SEAL videos. 
Yeah, it always amazes me when people find the time to be full-time artists and full-time activists, or at least part-time activists and part-time <laughs> artists. Uh, it's really confusing. Keep it all up in the air. Um, finding out that you're a full-time activist, you just sort of open your eyes and say, where'd everybody go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The thing that always interests me about people who are who have kind of gone to activism is, uh, you know, what really, well, what really brought you there, you know? What and, brought me there? Yeah. What brought you to this, uh, to this, you know? That would point? be mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I didn't really know it at the time. Mom was uh, pretty heavy into artistry. She was a painter when I was growing up, and Native American rights, and um, sort of a vague combination therein. But I, and I didn't really realize it. I didn't really realize that even that's who I was until about the second time that George Bush got elected. I don't know if I can say <laughs> that or not. Can I say that? Um, sure. <laughs> I, well, he didn't really get elected, but you can um, say it. <laughs> we were doing the World Can't Wait, which were massive peace rallies. And I was sending out my email list saying, everybody... Here's where we're going to be on Wilshire, and uh, and here's the time, and bring your signs and bring your bullhorns and get up and get people out. And these these are peace rallies, and I'm I send this. I didn't know about blind carbon copying to people yet, so everybody saw everybody. But I figure, hey, we're those people, so we're basically safe. She sees the entire list of people. This is my mom, and she responds to everybody, and she <laughs> says, "This is the mom." Do what Cynthia says. <laughs> Any one of you who gets arrested, I will pay your bail. Wow. <laughs> and, and she did. Wow. And I was like, wow. Has it always been like this? And my brother's like, uh-huh. <laughs> wow. Nice mom. Yeah, I'm going to read yeah, that on Mother's so, Day. Go, Mom. And now I, now I get it. I didn't get it then when I was little <laughs> and throwing box, But, you know, there we are. So um, as far as uh, uh, you, get, you sent us an uh, email that said that um, you and three of the other artist activists from the film festival have been called on to do a pilot for a TV series. Or that um, we're not actually talking about. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Right. No, no, no. It's it's okay. I'm just I'm just saying there's nothing that can be mentioned there. Okay. Um, well, we won't. We'll cut it out. A, of the hopefully, <laughs> I, what I'd say is this: hopefully, in the near future, we will get to. We'll get you, I, and everybody around us. We'll get more exposure via, you know, television, and the people who work diligently on that year round. And we don't want to stick sticks in their spokes by <laughs> by uh, tripping them up early. But yeah, we so we haven't said anything incriminating. That we haven't you, said anything incriminating. You do like a betting pool. I'm going to bet it's like a bunch of activists in a house and uh, um, Ted Nugent. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? <laughs> you know I what? I know you're kidding, but that was suggested. <gasps> oh, God, stop. I don't remember who suggested it, but I was like, my God, are you trying to kill me? I have to say, frankly, Ted Nugent has done more for the animal rights movement than just about <laughs> any crazy man out there. You know Why? Because we all think he's nuts. <laughs> that's what I say. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying on, on um, the SEAL documentary, the footage that I've shot so far. People say, well, you know... Every time you see one of those bloody animals writhing around, da-da-da videos, um, you know that that guy looked through every bit of footage to find the absolute worst, most vile, most violent, horrible things he could and put it out in front of you. He never shows the other side. I said, that's not true. I've gone torn limb from limb looking for sealers and people, you know, the hunters and the companies that make the hack picks 
to give them the microphone and put them, I want to put every single word that they have to say in all its clarity and blazing glory in the middle of the screen, full representation. And it's not because I want to be fair or equal or equivocable and give them a fair say. It's because every word that comes out of their mouth plays into exactly my point every single time. Mm. Yeah, give them enough rope. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. The they deserve it. Give them a big enough ice you know? pick and they'll stab themselves in the head, hopefully. That's not very vegan, Derek. What? If they do it to themselves? That's not very, that's, that's not very that's, nonviolent. They're doing it to themselves. It's consensual. That's right. It's a new analogy. All the kids are saying it. <laughs> I, I haven't actually had that question raised. Is veganism directly associated with nonviolence? Oh, I think so. Um, I think, in, in at least in my world, like I think there are there are principles of veganism, and that you can't you can't go around saying to other people, you know, to use nonviolence against animals, but then just be violent yourself and say violent, say, say violent things against hunters and uh, slaughterhouse workers and things but of like course, that. Of course, Megan just told us a little while ago she was going to give us a knuckle sandwich. <laughs> so. right. Well, in my, in my view, too, I have to say, I just generally say forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah. You know. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Something like that. I mean, it's it really comes down to ignorance, and you can't, you know, people are kind of just walking around in a zombie, deluded sort of state, and you know, we all we all are on various levels, even even us vegans, and uh, you know, so we just have to be compassionate and understand that people are kind of going around under a cloak of of illusion, and so you have to deal with both their their deep inner you, you know rip the cloak open inner self you know that part you honor when you say namaste and all that stuff yeah and, i think um, if you're gonna if you're gonna promote nonviolence, you have to be nonviolent yourself ultimately well i've tried that conversation a lot of times um, yes but usually when you walk up to somebody and say i love you because you're ignorant <laughs> uh, things go awry really quickly and I and well, so I learned, I learned yeah. the right way to do it and no, it well, goes like this when somebody says when somebody's halfway there or not really a board or not really a clue you know because say they haven't watched Earthlings yet or anything did you guys talk about Earthlings? we no, haven't talked no, about no. Earthlings okay next time we really will. quick really <laughs> short www.isawearthlings.com so that you become one of the people who saw Earthlings. Sean Monson is a genius. He basically backed up the camera and looked at the world through like the, the lens like of speciesism and said, okay, mm -hmm. here's what speciesism is. Here's a bias between you know species and takes you through animals and humans and we are all Earthlings. And that perspective is amazing. For like the last year, we've made this joke, but do you call a person who saw Earthlings a vegan? Right? I know I'm <laughs> preaching to the choir, but it's something that people should take off the shelf. There's DVDs out there. Give to people. You know, it's probably the best gift, probably the best present you can hand somebody is that one film because they won't come back to you the same person. Anyway, this is what I was saying. Veganism is not a diet, and I have to explain that to people constantly. Veganism is an education. When a person is completely ignorant, you have to forgive them, yes, because... They simply don't know. But you see that when somebody becomes completely and fully educated, it's not that they're trying to make some go down to an effort not to do something or to do something. They simply can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. They can't tolerate it. It becomes 
vile or intolerable. It's not because of their health, and it's not because it's because they they come to have an obligation. And when somebody's still continuing, it's probably because they're still missing some part of education. That's yeah. all. Mm. That's nice. Unless, of course, they've conscientiously chosen the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and you know I a little bit about the dark side, don't you? Free earthlings. <laughs> right. I haven't met that guy a lot of times post-earthlings. <laughs> oh. Well, Cynthia, and we have another interview with uh, Karen Davis. So awesome. We're going to have to okay. c- cut you short here, but thanks so much for coming on and telling us about your stuff. And we'll put uh, sh- links to uh, all the websites you've mentioned on our show notes so our listeners can find them. And, Very uh, cool. Thank you, guys. Yeah, let thanks. us know when you have some new music for us to play and <laughs> keep in touch. You'll be flooded within a couple of days. Yeah. Thanks okay. for your wise <laughs> words. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Have a great have day. Have a good night. Bye. All right. All right, the world. Cynthia and Sharp. So uh, we got to get Karen Davis on the line. we got to do a switchover. A switchover. Use one of those magic buttons that switches over. Switches over. Yeah. So um, we're going to play a little song that Megan will enjoy while we... Uh-oh. <laughs> Somehow I think I won't enjoy it after you say that. Bacon. She don't eat bacon. She don't We have Karen Davis from United Poultry Concerns, and uh, we're getting ready to celebrate Respect for the Chicken Day. Is that true? Yeah, it's um, International Respect for Chickens Day. This is our third year. Uh, we started the, um, the International Respect for Chickens Day idea three years ago, um, and the purpose is to celebrate the beauty, dignity, and, uh, and the life of chickens. Divinity. Uh, well, that too. Um, and also to protest against the bleakness of their lives in farming operations, not just factory farming operations, but all farming operations, and to encourage people, of course, to um, stop eating them, <laughs> and, to, um, uh, uh, and to consider a, a, a vegan lifestyle. So the, the actual day is May 4th? Um, yes. What calendar day does that fall on? Um, this year it's on Friday. On Friday? Yes. So fr- it's every May 4th you do this? Yes. W- this will be our third year. And what we do is we send out announcements to our members on the Internet and also to our members through our quarterly magazine, Poultry Press, and we ask them to do an action for chickens. Um, anything that they can fit into their busy schedule, um, whether it is writing a letter to an, ed- an editor of a local newspaper, calling in on a local talk show, leafleting at a busy street corner, setting up a library display um, at their school or their local public library, tabling at a local shopping center, or uh, at, at, at their school, anything that, or show the film Chicken Run, which seems to appear pretty frequently on TV right now, and it's got a great <laughs> message about how chickens want to be free and they don't want to be eaten. So there are just so many things. And having a vegan party for uh, uh, neighborhood people, 
anything that people can do. And a lot of people are doing a lot of things this year. Karen, I'm curious, um, why is the chicken your focus for animal liberation and freedom? Is there some, you feel a special connection with chickens and turkeys? Um, yes, I do. Uh, actually, there, it goes back to the 1980s when I met a chicken named Viva, who was being raised by a landlady with about 100 other chickens in order to maintain her agricultural tax status. And that was kind of my introduction to chickens raised for meat. I saw how fast and huge these birds grew and how crippled they quickly became and how they tended to have heart attacks, um, even though they were so young. And at that time, I was pretty naive, and I called the landlady about what I saw going on. But after seven weeks of my visiting the birds every day and getting to know them and just getting falling in love with them, then one day they were gone. And, of course, I now know that they went to slaughter as, chickens raised for meat do between six and seven weeks old. But about two days later, I was walking by the ch chicken house, and I saw a um, shadow moving around in there, and there was a hen who had been left behind. She was extremely crippled, and I gathered her in my arms and took her into our kitchen, and uh, my husband and I named her Viva because she had lived. And um, it was she was really the, uh, the inspiration as a personal chicken to get to uh, to reach me, uh, even though at the time I was doing a lot of reading about factory farming, and by that time I knew that uh, chickens represented the largest number of uh, land animals being slaughtered for food, both in the United States and worldwide. But she was my inspir—you know—she was my inspiration as a single individual whom I got to know so well and to love so dearly. I also was one of the first interns at Farm Sanctuary. Uh, way back in the days, mid-1980s, when they were still a little place in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And there, too, I was just uh, drawn instinctively to all of the birds especially, and most especially to the chickens and the turkeys. So those things, getting to know these birds as individuals, plus all that I was learning back in those days about uh, how miserable their lives are in factory farming operations, um, led me to feel that I wanted to start an organization that would focus specifically on them so that I could do the kind of detailed, in-depth um, work that would enable United Poultry Concerns to be uh, the strongest possible voice for the birds and uh, go beyond generalities into an ongoing uh, ability to do the research into uh, uh, you know, the, the poultry uh, trade magazines, the scientific journals, and to really be uh, a, a, spokes, a, a spokesperson uh, for chickens and a spokesgroup for chickens as, as much as possible in all possible ways. And that's what we did. I started United Poultry Concerns uh, in 1990, and uh, we publish a highly regarded quarterly magazine, Poultry Press. We have an excellent website. We're on many uh, lists on the Internet and uh, have published a wide variety of uh, literature and uh, brochures and posters and videos. And uh, I've written several books about chickens and turkeys and a vegan cookbook called Instead of Chicken, Instead of Turkey. Um, so uh, we've been very active ever since the, uh, I met Viva <laughs> and, uh, and, then, and, and began rescuing chickens and taking in ch chickens and, and ducks and turkeys from uh, local humane shelters in Maryland and now we're uh, on the eastern shore of Virginia, which is a huge poultry-producing area, and uh, we're kind of in the heart of where all the bad stuff goes on. 
and it's really wonderful for people in the area who come down and see our birds and get a chance to see chickens who are not just either on their plate or suffering. And with all your time that you have spent with chickens and turkeys, um, do you want to talk a little bit about the misrepresentation of chickens and turkeys as like very stupid animals, unloving animals, that kind of stereotype? Well, that stereotype that chickens are stupid and unloving is completely false. Um, in fact, meeting Viva, uh, who I spoke of, really was not that I thought the chickens were stupid or unloving or anything like that, but I just didn't know chickens back in the mid-1980s um, until I met, started meeting actual chickens. But um, first of all, chickens are among the most affectionate birds. Um, many chickens love to be held. They love attention, and uh, they are just wonderful companion animals. And one of the things that makes me happy is the uh, increasing number of people that uh, are starting to keep chickens and get to know how friendly they are, how they're very cheerful birds. They're just very happy. They, they love it when you call them to come for a treat or if the rooster calls the hens and they all go chook, 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 and they go running. And they're, they're very dear in their, just their happiness with uh, sunbathing and dust bathing and, uh, and uh, just they're, they're just lovely to have around. They're always... They're always engaged in their own social life. They always have some kind of little drama going on, and uh, it's wonderful to see how the roosters uh, are so uh, solicitous of the hens and how they protect them and uh, find food for them. And just there's just always something going on in the world of chickens. And, of course, since <laughs> I've learned so much now, I know that chickens come from the jungles of Southeast Asia and um, that they are a very hardy type of bird who uh, is a very social type of bird with, uh, amongst themselves. And people often think, well, chickens fight all the time, but actually the opposite is true. They, they almost never fight, and their fights are usually very uh, brief and uh, just part of their total repertoire of uh, the many behaviors that they engage in. And they are very active birds. Um, they love to get up before, really before the sunlight appears for us, chickens see light about uh, 45 minutes to an hour before we do. So when it's still dark out for us, it's light for them, and uh, they like to be out and about early as possible. The roosters here are starting to crow at this time of year by 4.30 in the morning, and uh, they just uh, they like to be out. They like to be out and about. The idea that they're stupid has been totally discredited, by the way, not only by animal activists such as myself, but there's a huge amount of science that's going on now, um, animal cognitive studies, including that uh, birds and chickens, including chickens, and uh, the whole idea that they're stupid has been completely discredited by uh, cognitive scientists and behavioral scientists who are showing quite the opposite. Chickens are very intelligent birds. They're very aware. They're very emotional birds. And so um, one of the things that United Poultry Concerns does is to use opportunities to educate people about who these birds are and who, do, who they are when they're not just being abused because when they're not being abused and they're happy, I'd say they're, they're just as happy as could be, and um, their behavior just indicates that uh, they enjoy and love being alive um, as long as they're treated as they deserve to be treated and can live the life that they evolved to live as chickens. That means being outside, being able to run around, uh, uh, being able to interact with one another socially, and once again, they can be just the warmest, cuddliest, friendliest birds with uh, people, too. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mouthful. I know. You have so much information to share. So much energy, Karen. Well, well you have to have energy to do the work. 
<laughs> and uh, chickens inspire me very, very much. Um, and they have so much energy, and I think a lot of their energy uh, is transferred to me. And I do like to tell a story, if I may, briefly. We've just had a really good experience. I, I, I'm sure that most of, uh, most of your listeners have heard of Ira Glass, the host of uh, the popular radio show on NPR called This American Life. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, well, we had a letter-writing campaign a few years ago to try to get Ira Glass to stop uh, 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 airing what he What's called the pult- what was called the poultry slam annually around Thanksgiving um, on This American Life because generally the poultry slam was what it sounds like. It was, you know, people would come on and tell stories about how stupid chickens were or turkeys were and really just a complete denig- false denigration of these birds. So we had a big letter-writing letter campaign. We urged people to protest to Ira Glass and to NPR and to uh, Public Radio International and we asked them to send stories about their chickens to Ira Glass that would um, counteract the false, uh, mean-spirited stories that were uh, being aired on the Poultry Slam. Well, then finally, after about two years of our campaign, Ira Glass invited me to be on the show to be one of the segments on the next upcoming Poultry Slam. So I said I would be glad to do that so long as, first of all, he would agree to come to our sanctuary and meet our chickens so that he could see who was being slammed because he didn't really know chickens and was just relying on these, on these um, sour stories to uh, promote uh, the kind of bird chickens are. So Ira Glass agreed. He said he would be glad to come to our sanctuary, meet our chickens, which he did. Um, he came one day on one Saturday afternoon. He spent the entire afternoon here visiting with our chickens in our sanctuary, and we had a very long talk um, about the birds, and then he left at the end of the day. And um, he subsequently, uh, he did have me on as a segment on the, the next Poultry Slam. But um, after that, I believe the Poultry Slam just didn't occur anymore. And in addition, on several radio uh, programs, he, he talked about how he became a vegetarian as a result Yay. of having met our birds. Wow. So the most recent um, uh, uh, time that he... Uh, made this announcement was last Friday night, April 20th, on the uh, late night with David Letterman. So he told millions of TV viewers that his visit to United Poultry Concerns and meeting me and the chickens led him to become a vegetarian. That's awesome. Yeah. So you never know who you're going to, you know, how you're going to affect people or who you're going to affect when you just keep, uh, 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 you know, making making your arguments and of course, the chickens themselves are the best argument in the world for uh, becoming a vegetarian because when people meet them, they just they see how sweet they are and how innocent they are, and um, and many people just decide they're on the spot, like, along with people like Ira Glass, that they just um, they don't want to they don't want to cause them pain and suffering, and they see that they can enjoy food without um, uh, causing animals to suffer. So that's what we want to have happen, and that's what we try to do with United Poultry Concerns Outreach Programs. That's awesome. That's great. So May 4th is uh, Respect the Chicken Day? That's right, International Respect for Chickens Day. And again, we ourselves, uh, locally, we're going to be leafleting at the White House on May 4th. Oh, uh, great. 12 noon to uh, 4 p.m. Yeah, we just sent out our announcement today, urging people to join us. We have our brochures. We have our international... Respect for Chickens Day posters, and um, then on Saturday we will be leafleting in Tacoma Park, Maryland, which 
is rather famous for their uh, Roscoe the Rooster, who was an actual rooster who people in Tacoma Park took care of for about a decade until he died. Hmm. And I was on the committee, I was invited to be on the committee to select the uh, sculpture that would represent Roscoe um, as the town mascot. And that was several years ago. And we selected, uh, the committee selected our favorite um, our, our favorite uh, uh, sculpture, and he uh, now is right in the town square. So the first year of our International Respect for Chickens Day celebration, we were right there with Roscoe and uh, using him as a kind of symbol of, of uh, the love for chickens and the respect for chickens that we want to inspire in people and that the residents of Tacoma Park, Maryland, felt for Roscoe. And so this year, on Saturday, uh, May 5th, we're going to be going back there and kind of rallying around Roscoe the Rooster uh, and uh, using his symbolism and his significance to the residents of Tacoma Park as a way to talk about what chickens go through in farming operations and vivisection and, all, and cockfighting and all of the other miserable things they're subjected to and to remind people that Roscoe was such a lucky rooster in being loved by the whole community of Tacoma Park, and that's what we would like to see happen for chickens uh, all over the world. Excellent. Well, we have to wrap up. It's uh, time for us to get off the air here, but I was wondering if you could uh, tell me how you like my uh, rooster imitation. <laughs> uh, have, you, uh, have you started yet? Here Are we you go. going to imitate <laughs> So, I, I throw good? down a lot around here. <laughs> <laughs> I've been practicing. I've you do sound like a rooster. Oh, and, uh, thank you. I like to imitate roosters, too. Uh, when they crow, I crow back sometimes. And they, oh, they, could you give oh, us a little sample? <laughs> give, us your, give us your best crow. Oh, wow. You got me beat. That was really good. That was awesome. That was awesome. Then there's... <laughs> oh, the chickens have wonderful voices. They have all kinds of voices, and I love to hear them. And that's one of the things that people say. I didn't know that chickens had so many different sounds and voices and expressions of happiness and sadness and excitement and enthusiasm. So I appreciate the opportunity you just gave me and that you yourself took advantage of to uh, crow. And that's <laughs> what we want. We want to hear. We want to hear roosters crowing for joy. And. Um, it's great to be able to be on your show and, and to do that. And if I may just quickly give our website address so yeah, that sure. your listeners can visit our website. Yep. It's uh, upc-online.org. Again, www.upc-online.org. Okay. Thanks, thank you Karen. So much. Thanks thank for you your dedicated both. activism. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you, too. Bye. All right. And you're listening to www.veganradio.com, uh, WXOJLP Northampton 103.3 FM. Up next is Jay Deacon with Spirit. And uh, thanks for joining us again. We'll be back in two weeks, same time, same vegan time, same vegan channel. And uh, anything else, Megzi? Go vegan. Go vegan, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> Scott is excited tonight. I am. I haven't even had my sugar. <laughs> <laughs> my coffee.